I'm Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Hey everybody, this is Ivan from Men Without Hats. Hello everybody, this is Francis Dunry from It Bites. Hi everyone, this is Andy from Modern Romance. Hi everyone, this is Charlene. Hi, this is Dennis Seaton from Music E. Hi, I'm Nick Haywood. Hi, this is Kevin from Fiction Factory. And you're listening to the 80s Rewind Show Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. It's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now, welcome your host, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, it's the Rewind Show podcast with me, Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. And welcome along to this special edition. It's the greatest hits. I've had an absolutely amazing year interviewing all the artists. So I've done your greatest hits of the interviews, giving you some of the best bits, deep cuts and the top choice of all the interviews. Just to give you a flavour of the podcast. And you might have missed an episode and think, oh, I really want to hear that one. Well, you can go into the archive. You can find the podcast on all the streaming sites. Also, if you go over to the official website, www.the80spod.com, that's www.the80spod.com, you'll find all the episodes on there, plus more about me and the podcast so please like share and subscribe and a massive thank you to anyone that's followed the show from the start anyway let's get to it first up we've got jack hughes from wang chung who had hits with dance all days live and die in la and everybody have fun tonight to name just a few and i was talking to jack about working with the legendary david geffen and also their fantastic album points on the curve <laughs> and was it true david geffen changed the name Is yes right? so we did the arister album uh at the end of that process i wrote dance all days and uh, Dance All Days was clearly a, a sort of hit song. There was a very different sense from people when then they heard that track. You know, it's kind of suddenly our publishers wanted to invite us out for lunch and stuff. You know, and it's all like, we never met them before, really. You know? And uh, so, and then we did a version of Dance All Days with Tim Freeze Green. Tim right. Freeze Green was at that time working with Talk Talk. And right, was, yeah, yeah. like considered to be state of the art, but also experimental. The sort of Nigel godrich of his time i suppose you know uh but the experience of working with him was tough actually because it was it was kind of like he wanted to make the record basically and then have me sing on it yeah and i didn't like what he did with it i don't think any of us did you know jack hughes of wang chung there talking about recording the album points on the curve if you've not heard it it's a fantastic album check it out get it spotify it download it buy it however you can get your hands on it you'll love the album okay we're moving on to nick haywood from haircut 100 who had fantastic hits such as fantastic day love plus one and favorite shirts boy meets girl he's an absolutely lovely guy and we spoke so much about music i almost forgot to ask him some questions so when i remembered i was actually interviewing him i asked him about his first guitar his love for status quo and of queen guitar wise um is it gretch you used to play a lot of um and what well my first was a uh, telecaster because i was so into quo right um, wow uh, i was into early quo like you know down down and caroline and all the all the like basic rock because i was really into basic rock like quo and montrose i wasn't into led zeppelin funny enough i was into sort of avant-garde rock i was into right. just real basic rock there's something i really liked about it you know when down down kicks in you know you've got this very simple riff you know all their songs start off with this really simple riff and then the when the drums kick in again it's that and then the bass is is, is there when something the bass kicks in and um i can still listen to that now with the same it's like as fresh as a daisy yeah. Absolutely. I will never get bored of that song. And same with Bohemian Rhapsody, you know. First time I heard that, it blew my head off. I <laughs> couldn't believe how beautiful 
music could be. <laughs> nobody, had, nobody had ever heard anything like that before. Yeah. It was out there. It was really out there. I mean, I thought the Seven Seas of Rye was... I loved that song. Yeah. But, um, and that's what I, I kind of... That got me into music first, because I just thought... I loved, I loved intros, really, how they just... Seven Seas of Rye had a brilliant intro. Nick Hayward there talking about his love for Queen's status quo and his first guitar. Next up, we've got the fantastic Owen Paul, who couldn't sleep one night and accidentally stumbled into an international smash hit. So here's Owen telling me the history of how he found the song, You're My Favourite Waste of Time. Another hopper, another good uh, <laughs> match. Still, Staring at the so can't, yeah. still can't sleep. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not I'm not stressing about what we're doing. I'm just not, I'm just blindly insomnia yeah. type, right? And whatever, and I thought, you know, oh, don't even try and go to sleep. Just give it a bit. Let's just find something to watch. Yeah. So I got the so I've got this VHS tape out, one of many, and I, and it says on the side, uh, Bet Midler in concert. I thought, okay, let's try that. See what that's like. So it's the time when she was doing the sort of massive, gigantic shows where she's being a mermaid on a wheelchair and all this weird, <laughs> yeah, all, these weird, weird stuff. All, the, all, all these weird dance routines and things <laughs> and whatever, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, this is, this will keep me right. So this is now like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, so the show's going on and I'm thinking, okay, I, I like her and she's good and she's very, great show biz lady and got great history. Yeah. Really sing a thing, right? Anyway, she comes to the section of the show and She's going to sing a medley of songs, right? So it's a little snippet of four or five songs that she likes. Yeah. Right? So she sings, Everyone's Gone to the Moon, which is a song of proper brilliant track. Yeah. Great choice. And then she sung something else, a little bit of that, and the orchestra playing a little bit of that. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then suddenly she went, You're mine, you're my favorite. And I was like, Whoa, hang on. <laughs> Seriously, seriously, yeah. I was like, whoa, I was like, no, I'm wide awake. Owen Paul there discussing You're My Favourite Wasted Time. And next, we go over to one of the most underrated voices in the 80s, of my opinion, Dennis Seaton from Musical Youth. And here me and Dennis are discussing the band's history with the song Past the Duchy. Past the Duchy is the big song you're known for, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, and yes. it's a cover from the Mighty Diamonds. You were playing that live for a while, is that right? It, it came from playing live? Yes. Well, what happened was, when we used to rehearse, because we couldn't play our instruments in the house, because we used to go and rehearse in Freddie's house. Mm. And every weekend we'd listen to the reggae charts and say, see which song we wanted to sing. Yeah. So um, what we did was, we chose that song, because Past the Duchy was the number one song at the time. And what we did was... Um, we just we just said right. We need to add something, but we never changed it to Kochi, to mm. Dutchy. We just kept with with, with Kochi, right? Um, and it was only when and it, you know because it was the number one reggae song at the time, people loved it. Yeah, you know. So then what we did was we just kept playing it and we added it to the set because it was the, you know we loved the song anyway. Yeah. And then when Calvin added his bits, we never thought anything of it. Yeah. It was only when we did. We did a we did a we did a support gig with uh, Culture Club at Heaven, uh, which was the biggest gay club in London at the time. Probably still is now, but anyway, don't matter. When we performed past the Duchy, there's three thousand people in the venue, were absolutely ballistic. They went nuts. Wow, they went absolutely nuts. The A and R guy, the head of A and R, was there from the record company, MCA, mm. and he he said at the gig, he said, "Look, this song is there any way you can change the lyric?" <laughs> and we said, "Well, we don't know." Uh, we hadn't recorded, because back then they used to make you demo your album. Right. And we hadn't demoed the album yet. 
they knew the songs that we performed because they were our originals. Mm. Um, so when we went in, we recorded that, that the weekend we did the demo for the album. And that was, you know, we used to do demonstration de- demo tapes for, for record companies. Yeah. When we recorded the demo, we did two versions of that song. So the, the first version was with Kochi. Mm-hmm. And the second version was just Dutchy. <laughs> we went back it. Well, all we did was play it back. I said, well, what are going to change the lyric to? And the manager, he said, look, Kochi Dutchy. And we went, ah, yes. And we jumped up and down like we did. And went, right. So all we did was change the lyric. Yeah. And where it says, how does it feel when you got no herb? We just changed it. How does it feel when you got no food? The wonderful Dennis Seaton there talking about past the Dutchy. Dennis is such a lovely guy. We were talking on the phone there and he was at an award ceremony and he was actually rehearsing and speaking to me in between the breaks. What a lovely fella. Uh, now coming up, we've got another legend of the 80s, Junior Giscom, who had a hit with Too Late and also this track which he discusses, Mama Used to Say. I used to do handmade shoes, mate, and um, I used to work in a heel bar. Started out doing handmade shoes, did that for three years, qualified and... Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, it was really cool. I did shoes for Paul Newman. I did shoes for the Queen, for Charles. Blimey. Um, That's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. This was all back in the day. <laughs> so, You're not going to say this is where I got the soul from, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. This was, a, I was um, doing a pair of shoes and the girl came into the um, heel bar and she was stunning. And I wanted to talk to her. So we started chatting and, and I asked her her age. Mm. And at the time, I would have been 23. She said she was 18. And I thought, Jesus, I can't tell you right age. I'm 23. That's like, <laughs> what, five years? She said, like, no, mate. So she asked me mine. So I said, I'm 20. And I started laughing, right? <laughs> I went home and I was telling my mum the story. <laughs> And she said to me, I've been telling you, you know, you keep rushing to get old. And that was it. <laughs> the fabulous Junior Giscom there, who's still gigging today, he's out and about. If you get a chance to see him live, he's amazing. So when I make the show, I always try to contact guests that I absolutely love from their records. And one of them was the Safety Dance from Men Without Hats. And I contacted them and I never expected a response. And I did. I got one and I spoke to Ivan from Men Without Hats and he could not have been a nicer person. And we spoke about the track Safety Dance and its origin. Yeah, well, this is a true story. I was... You know, it was the dying days of disco, you know, the end of the 70s. And uh, in the discotheques, every now and then, the DJ would sneak in Blondie's Heart of Glass or Rock Lobster by the B-52s. And we would just go crazy. Hey, wow, new wave. And we'd get up and we'd start pogoing, just jumping up and down, bouncing off each other. The precursor to to the mosh pit and to slam dancing. And the bouncers and the people dancing around us had no idea what was going on, thought we were fighting. So we would get, we started getting kicked out every time a new wave song would <laughs> be playing. And I, I literally went home and wrote a, wrote a song about it. It's just too much. I was getting tired of getting bounced. <laughs> but, you know, we won in the end, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the album version um, to the single is, is different. So was that a decision you made or was that a record company's decision to make it? Different. That was a record company decision. It was one of those things. They said, you know, you guys got to do a 12-inch. What's that? Oh, you just take the song, you stretch it out a bit, you know. I said, okay. And uh, I was trying to emulate uh, Grandmaster Flash. Right. I said, you know, they're talking. They do all these talking stuff, you know. We got to do some talking on it. We're going to stretch it out. Let's do some talking stuff. Yeah. 
And uh, so that's it, the spelling and the talking and, <laughs> and yeah. And the, I mean, the video is really unusual for that song. It's just, uh, where, it is, where, it is. I think that's one of the things that gives it the, its lasting power because everybody was expecting some spiked haired guy with pointy shoes and zippers all over his clothes. And they got like some kind of Peter Panish, Robin <laughs> Hood kind of, <laughs> who knows what it is, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so it you know, it's it's kind of timeless. You know, you watch that video now. I mean, you watch a lot of other videos. You kind of laugh and chuckle and look at their hair. Look at the, you know. Yeah. And this one, you can't really do that because it's like, wow, this is like, you know, could have been shot yesterday. It's 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 timeless. It's it's like a western. The amazing Ivan from Men Without Hats there, and he's absolutely right. I could watch the video over and over again, and it's completely timeless. You'd never know it was recorded in the eighties. Could have been the seventies. Could have been the sixties. You know, when they got colour, obviously. But it's brilliant. He's absolutely right. And now we're popping up to Scotland to speak to Kevin Patterson from Fiction Factory. And he explained to me where the band got the name. So Jack had drawn up a list. Fiction Factory was was on the list. And it, it just seemed to fit what we thought we were trying to do, which was write music for other people or write songs for other people. We weren't really a band, hence the fiction of being a band. And the factory of writing songs a bit like, you know, Motown or sort of grand, really <laughs> stupid, grandiose ideas. You know, the Perth version of Motown, I don't think so. Um, but in those days, you know, you know, you dream big uh, and and you, you, that's kind of, that's really where it came from was yeah. was what we were trying to do. What I love about it as well is, um, I was thinking about it the other day, it has that very sort of uh, German synthesizer, 1984 sort of sound to it Fiction Factory you know it's like Department yeah. S and there's that wonderful sort of period sound to the name as well I think so um, I, I think it, it it does paint a paint a picture and I, and I think um, it, it it is something that, that uh, has been adapted by other people subsequent to that and I I, I think I don't know. Um, obviously, we're not overly calculating about it, but with hindsight, yeah, it's, it seems to have, you know, it seems to be something that that it is is possible for for you to say in German or or French yeah. or whatever, and and it, it doesn't doesn't sound too silly. It's like if you, if Kubrick had made Clockwork Orange in the eighties, you know, you would have had Human League, you know, you would have had yeah. Fiction Factory, Heaven Seventeen. They've all got that sound yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. to the names. Yep. And uh, yeah. Fiction Factory is one of those perfect names where you don't know what it is, but you can only imagine it's something austere. <laughs> the fantastic Kevin Patterson there from Fiction Factory telling me how the band got their name. Now on to It Bites and a man that now tours as Tombstone Dunnery, Francis Dunnery from the band It Bites. And he tells me how the band formed. It was just around the clubs. We started doing cover numbers. Me, Bob and Dick and them. We, we knew John. John was an incredibly talented kid. He was only like 16 or something or 17 down in Whitehaven in, in, uh, in this like rough housing estate called Meyer House. And um and he but he was brilliant, old John. He was absolutely brilliant. He was one of them you could play him anything and he'd just play it right back for you, John. He's 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 incredibly talented, you know. Yeah. And um and we we so we got together and we started doing I think we started doing like level forty two numbers. I this is when a level forty two just come out. So it was round about that time, maybe a year before that, or you know, we were doing some pretty cool covers, you know, like uh but we started to get gigs maybe one night a week or something or something, you know, and we had a bit of a reputation because we were absolutely mental. We used to get drunk and all that and we were, you know, and I'm six foot four, so like I was like diving around the stage and like it was, you know, it was, we were just steaming drunk. Like sometimes you were that drunk you couldn't even sing, but we got eventually got banned from all the clubs in uh, in Cumbria for pissing in 
pint glasses and all that and smashing things over. <laughs> you know, we were, de- you know, we were definitely, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't goody two shoes bands. Sometimes I watch bands, you know, uh, uh, you know, especially the metal bands, because the metal bands are the nicest people in the world. I don't know whether you know that. Yeah, I've heard, yeah. Heavy metal fans and the bands, they are literally the nicest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Like they're, and, the, and I always think that all of them are dominated by their parents, all the fans, and they go out to these metal shows and they go, Wah! and they do that whole thing. But then they just go back to the bank where they work in the bank the next day and they're kind of, oh, hello, you know, how are you doing? And, <laughs> it's, I, and but if you, you know, if dangerous people are people like Sean Ryder and people like that. That you know, it's that lot. Yeah, you know, the people who are not grandstanding on being crazy or anything. That's the lot. And so it bites were a bit like that. We were trying to like not really make a scene of being weird or crazy or, or whacked out or drunks or anything like that. But that's indeed what we were. You know, we were nuts. The wonderful and engaging Francis Dunnery there from It Bites. And don't forget to check out Tombstone Dunnery on Facebook and on the web. He's got some fantastic material out there. And now on to some 80s punk when I spoke to Ed Tudorpole and writing Swords of a Thousand Men. So with something like Swords of a Thousand Men, was, the, was it written for the image or was it written just for the song and then the image came after? Well, we were on the Son of Stiftor three months in a coach, we'd just been signed up. So, after a while, you know, it's just like, well, it's the best sort of thing you can imagine. You play half an hour each night with four other bands in a rotating order. Mm-hmm. The rest is just, is, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll sort of thing. Yeah. But I did think it's my duty to, to write a hit song. If we'd been signed up, the, the, the record company wants a hit record. So I'd go in the little carsy of the coach with my guitar, my acoustic, and just sort of start strumming. I thought, well, every hit song has a great rhythm. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's have the rhythm of um, Spirit in the Sky. I do, you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Norman Greenbaum. So I was just strumming that, and that's what Swords was meant to be, Yeah. that rhythm. But, but the lads couldn't quite. So I just played the same uh, chords, which is just a 12 bump blues thing yeah. in B trying to do the boogie rhythm but I had no idea of the words <laughs> and then at the end of the three month tour when we eventually got back in the rehearsal studio again you know it all came together the tune and we were la la lying over the, the words sort of thing so yeah. we thought well, this is a group. what we need is some words what, what's it going to be about yeah and then gradually um, you know the Grand Old Duke of York that's he had 10,000 men you march him up to the top of the hill. And our local pub was called The Castle. Right. So the opening line of that song, deep in the castle, back <laughs> from the war. Well, it's deep in the castle pub, back from the tour. <laughs> and it all just sort of, anyway, the words wrote themselves and that was a very successful record. But it just came easy. Ed Tudorpole there, a man that's punk through and through and God love him for it. Telling us how he wrote the song, Swords of a Thousand Men. Next up, David Grant telling us how he wrote the song Intuition. Intuition. We started writing Intuition um, and we had this bass line, the sketch, it started with the bass line. And I was like, I love this bass line, love this bass line. Let's come up with um, with a tune. A sketch was going, I've got this idea, you're my lady, you're my lady. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. We don't really do love songs. We can't, we, we can't do happy love songs. We're linked. We have to do, like, if it's a love song, it's got to be a cynical love song. <laughs> <laughs> so as we played around with it, we had that da-da-da-da. 
And um, then I wrote, uh, you know, the sketch, that was sketches. Then I wrote a verse. So let's write about childhood. Okay, so we started doing that. We started writing about our mothers, how they would always cuss us out. And we were having a real laugh about it. And <laughs> so once we've written that, we then had that four-syllable phrase. Da-da-da-da. What's it going to be? And it, I can't remember which one of us came up with the word intuition. And it was it. That's it. And then Sketch said, let's put some steel pants on it. I was like, no! No! Why on earth do you ever hear funk music with steel pants? Come on! And he said something that I think was really a defining moment musically for that song and for maybe the link sound. He said, yeah, but remember this. We're influenced by American music. We're not American. Mm. We have our own background and our own history and our own influences. Let's inject some of our background into this song. So I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so we did. So we came up with bum, 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 bum. So finishing up the greatest hits of the 8th Rewind Show podcast there, David Grant telling you about the history of the track intuition thank you for joining me on this greatest hits journey and please check out www.the80spod.com that's www.the80spod.com the website because there's many interviews on there which I didn't cover in this greatest hits I might do a second part I don't know um, don't forget to like share and subscribe and tell your friends all about the show and I'll owe you a cup of tea um, thanks for joining me I'll see you soon the show is produced edited and presented by Robbie if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to subscribe and leave us a review Thank you.